Welcome to the Baby Sleep Podcast, where real families come to share their struggles and achievements, as well as road-tested tips and tricks from their journey to a sleeping baby. I'm Elizabeth Martin, and I'm passionate about giving a voice to this huge and often lonely aspect of the parenting journey. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Baby Sleep Podcast. I'm so delighted you're here. Today, my guest is Julia Wiley, a dear friend of mine who is mother to two beautiful children. Welcome so much to the podcast, Julia. Thank you for having me. It's great being here. Um, Okay, so now that we're here and we know what we're talking about, Baby Sleep today, um, Julia, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, um, where you're based, and in particular, you know, you and your husband and sort of who you are. I think for a lot of parents, sleep is so important because we have other parts of our lives that aren't just being a parent. And so it's kind of nice to know what other priorities you might have going on outside of your little ones. Sure. So um, we are a family of four, uh, four humans anyways. We have two canines. And um, my husband is an orthopedic surgeon. And when we had our first child, he was still a resident. So that added a little bit, another element to the whole sleep bit of things. And um, now he's thankfully done with his training. Um, I have taught at a community college for almost 10 years now, believe it or not. And um, our youngest is about to turn two. And my daughter is now five. And um, we are based in Park City, Utah. And um, I do have to say that being a community college professor has definitely allowed me to be both a mom and still continue to work full-time, which has been really nice for work-life balance, uh, especially when I have a spouse who has a very demanding profession of his own. So um, let's see here. I think I told you, yeah, they're both, uh, one's two, one's five, um, and then uh, we have a COVID puppy, so he's added a little bit of interesting <laughs> dimension to the sleep picture, but uh, it was funny, speaking of sleep, my husband, uh, when I wanted to get a second dog in the spring, he's like, everybody's finally sleeping through the night. Do you really want to do this? <laughs> he anyway. knew, he knew yeah. the trouble. <laughs> you had achieved it, the holy grail, everybody's sleeping. <laughs> Well, I think that brings us to a good question, which is sort of what did you know about baby sleep before you welcomed your first child, your daughter, Skylar? Um, What, you know, what did you guys know about it as a young couple, both working hard in your careers, demanding jobs? Was it, was it on your radar at all? (laughs) Very, very short answer. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, we did not start off on such a great foot. Um, I, I don't know I, I, if I was just being naive or um, I just thought once the baby came, everything would be fine. Um, also, I don't think sleep was um, maybe as much on my radar as some of the other health concerns that you might have about, you know, like having a healthy baby who's eating and, um, you know, but sleep and eating are very closely related. Um, if they're not eating well, they may not be sleeping well or vice versa. Um, I should have read more, admittedly. I should have <laughs> taken more classes. I don't know. Um, I mean, I was 30, 32 when I had my daughter and I had always babysat. I, so, you know, it wasn't like I was completely unfamiliar with children. My sisters both had young children before I had my daughter. Um, but it was not something that they, they, they talked a whole lot about until there were problems, mm. you know? Um, and I don't know, I felt, I, I think being pregnant, um, I thought giving birth was the end of the marathon. <laughs> uh, I was brutally wrong. Uh, it was really the beginning. Um, and I was like, what do you mean they have to be woken up or eat every three hours? What, I, what, when do I get to sleep, you know? So it was rough, uh, to say the least. Also, um, my daughter had jaundice. And so, I mean, while on, probably on the lesser of some of the problems that babies can be born having, that added another element of stress. And um, they also, you know, like 
there was very broken up sleep because mm. they had to check her bilirubin levels very frequently. Um, How long did the jaundice take? Just a few days, thankfully, with all the treatments that um, they didn't have to send us home with anything. But um, then also being a first time mom and and being uh, very much wanting to be a exclusively breastfeeding mom, um, that was kind of disrupted because to clear the bilirubin, they need to eat. Mm -hmm. And usually mom's milk doesn't come in for a few days. And so then we had to add um, some supplemental feedings to the picture and um, that had to be on a certain routine. And then um, she lost a bunch of weight. And so then, you know, I was told to wake her up and feed her either, you know, supplementally or breastfeed her and then pump on top of that. And so again, the question was, when am I supposed to sleep? <laughs> um, this is and- all brand new in the hospital. Oh my gosh. And then within the first couple of weeks of being home too. And then you, you, you know, I got some probably not useful uh, information from, you know, well, uh, well, you know, they weren't trying to be unhelpful. I guess, I don't know how to say it, but um, like family members who, oh, you should never wake a sleeping baby. And, you know, some of those old wives tales like that, um, well, no, actually, if you have a baby who sleeps a lot, you do have to wake them up to eat. Um, and uh, that was not relayed very well. So I, I, it's partly, I mean, we are definitely to blame. I think we also had some assumptions that we knew something coming both somewhat from a field of health and medicine. Um, but uh, yeah. So how long with Skylar, what, what did it look like in those early months, that sort of fourth trimester? Um, was she, did you get into any kind of pattern and routine? Who sort of handled overnights? How, how did that go? So the first few weeks, I would say probably the first month was really like, it was, a, it was really, really hard. And um, I, we finally got her weight back up and I finally had like enough supply to breastfeed her. Um, I still didn't understand or read about sleep that when they're tired, you just lay them down. Um, And so I was, we were doing a routine of sleep. uh, Let's see here. Eat, sleep, eat, wake. (laughs) So like every 45 minutes kind of like, and she was a good sleeper. I mean, I mean, you could say that's a pro and a con, but waking up a sleeping baby is so hard when they're just sleeping so soundly and you're like, I would love an extra two hours of sleep too. And, you know, like letting them sleep longer, but they need to eat. Um, And so then um, one of my friends, I was talking to her and she had a baby actually prematurely a couple months after I had Skylar. And she was like, oh, we do um, eat, play, sleep. And I was like, what is tell me about that. What is that about? You know? And then my mom who initially came when Skylar was born to help out, came back a couple months later and she was like, oh yeah, she's tired. Just go lay her down. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I've always fed her to sleep until, Uh yeah. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't know any other way. And I hadn't, and, and I also hadn't tried to just lay her down. Um, because I was like, what we're doing is working. I'm feeding her and she's sleeping and I don't, you know, want to mess with that. But then I realized it was more work doing what I was doing. And I was like, what do you mean? You just go lay them down. And my mom, she had four kids, so she's done this, but I think she's, it's, it's been 30 years. So things have changed. And, uh, Skylar was exhibiting some of those sleep signs, you know, and that they say to look for in babies, which I didn't really apparently know to look for. And, um, and she just went upstairs and laid her down and she like kind of squawked for a few minutes and then she was asleep. And I was just like, I had this epiphany moment, like, ah, what is this about? Like, how, how have I been missing this for two, three, four months? I don't know. Anyways, um. so it was, and then, and then about when she was about six months, I found this book that became kind of like my go-to resource. And um, she talked about sleep, but she also talked about a lot of other aspects. Um, what was the name of the book? Do you remember? So the book is called The Science of Mom. And um, it is written by a, a PhD biochemistry um, professor 
and I uh, maybe you can provide the link to her book. Yeah, I'll definitely link it in your. She in your also has um, a blog called The Science of Mom, and that's how she got started. And then she published a book, and I came upon this book. I don't even remember how now. Um, and she talked about sleep and sleep training and all these other different um, ways that people get their babies to sleep. And she looks at it from the science of, of, you know, like, what do we know about like the Ferber method or what do we know about co-sleeping and what are some of the advantages and disadvantages? And I really appreciated the book coming from a bit of a science background myself, but it's also a very easy read if you don't come from a science background. And I really appreciated that she writes from a very like neutral standpoint. She doesn't say, this is how you should do it. She says, here's what the science says. And then she gives a couple of like real life examples. And she does this in each of the chapters, not just the sleep chapter, but she also talks about, you know, feeding and, um, and everything basically up until the first year of life. Um, so it was a great, uh, great resource. I mean, and that it sounds like a really good fit for you and your doctor husband to, to <laughs> science folks to have a really, um, a resource that reflected your your personalities and your values and your interests. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, it made sense to us too, you know, like coming from the research and numbers and, you know, uh, you know, is this accurate and reliable? Was it done on a, a subject number that was, you know, made sense or was it an N of one? So, um, yeah. And so let's just pause in here and talk about what was happening on your, in your personal life while this is going on. If you found that book at say six months and you found eat, play, sleep at maybe four months, were you back to work? Was Jim back to work? How, how did that look? Oh yeah. Jim took like three or four days off. <laughs> um, thankfully I, uh, well, yeah, thankfully, I guess you could say I had my daughter at the end of spring semester and so I just had somebody else give my finals and then I, had, I was home with her all summer. And so she was about four months when I went back to work for fall semester and um, she started daycare, which I was very anxious about too, uh, because I was like, how is she going to sleep in a room with a bunch of other babies, you know, and how's this all going to work out? But thankfully I had a wonderful woman who was in the the infant room and she was a very helpful tool as well because she uh, she was like Mary Poppins like she just um, you know she was very helpful and uh, experienced yeah ex thank you experienced and um, and she she was kind of like a surrogate grandmother of sorts and she made everything a lot easier um, for me as a new mom going back to work so that was at four months I was also I take that back again, mom brain, you forget a lot of things. Um, four months was right before I went back to work was when my mom uh, said, well, you just lay her down when she's tired. And you beam, you haven't been doing this all summer. And I was like, no. Um, like, Where were you four months ago, mom? <laughs> but so me being home with her and not having to work right away was a blessing. Um, and like, I, I don't know what I would, I would have been more sleep deprived if I had to go back to work after, you know, just eight or 12 weeks, like a lot of moms do. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I felt very fortunate. So, but no, my husband was always working and I don't think he ever got up with her in the middle of the night. Cause I was also breastfeeding. And so like, I didn't, I didn't feel like waking up and pumping or whatever, and then making him get up when he also had crazy hours. Cause he was in residency. With Skylar, I know you've mentioned you were sort of, flailing is not really a fair word. I don't want to say that, but, but it was really hard. Um, yes. And so what, you know, what sort of, what was your breaking point or what kind of triggered the, like, we, we need to change, something needs to change here. Right. So there was a couple of different major changing points. And the first one was when she was a newborn. And um, interestingly enough, even though she was a big baby in, in the sense that she was on the higher end of average, um, she had jaundice. And so they were very, very um, aggressive about getting her bilirubin levels down and um, being a new mom and, and um, opting to breastfeed, um, not being able to feed her right away, we had to supplement and do all these other feeding uh, supplemental techniques. 
And so at two weeks, um, because I had gotten the misinformation that you don't wake a sleeping baby and she was a good sleeper, she was not back up to her birth weight at her two-week pediatrician checkup. Mm -hmm. And that was when for lack of a better way, I don't want to use an expletive, but that was when expletive hit the fan, basically. Um, and so that's when we called in a lactation consultant and she told us maybe Skylar had a tongue tie. So we got that lasered. Um, and then we had to do um, like the therapy uh, of her lip and underneath her tongue. And that was like torturous to a newborn. And she was also pretty lethargic when she was breastfeeding. And so every time I had to feed her, so every time I woke her up, and I also didn't know this, very naive, that it's three hours um, from the beginning of the previous feeding. That the yes, and that part the worst. It comes oh my up gosh. so fast. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what? And so I was mistakenly, I wasn't letting her go like 12 hours without eating as a newborn, but she was going maybe like four, sometimes five, because I was letting her sleep. And I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And I don't know why, um, but she wasn't back up to her birth weight. Um, and when she was breastfeeding, she would just fall asleep. So she was kind of like sleep eating and she wouldn't eat well. And it was like this vicious cycle. And um, so we had to strip her down to like her diaper to like get her cold and hopefully that be enough stimulation to keep her awake every time we fed her it, or every time I fed her, it was a lot of work. And so um, finally, then I, I don't remember because of the fog of newborn baby, how I think it was a week or 10 days after she finally got back up to her her birth weight and her pediatrician gave me the go ahead to let her sleep. And that was like amazing. So that was about a month to six weeks in. And my, and I was kind of like, I was not doing well. Um, I, I was really sleep deprived and I just wanted to go somewhere and sleep and take a break, but you can't do that with a newborn. And so, um, so my husband was just like, okay, this has, you know, we got to change. This has got to stop because um, I mean, there's a reason why they use sleep deprivation and waterboarding as torture methods, you know, like they're the simplest thing out there, but they can make you kind of lose your mind. And so um, what he did, and I mean, being a resident, he also really stepped up because his schedule was already bananas, um, that he uh, one night said, look, okay, I'm going to take one feeding so you can have six hours of sleep. Mm. And I was also really nervous as a new mom because you get the message like you either breastfeed or you give them formula. There's no in between. And so that was also my fear that like, if I missed one feeding, I would like dry up, which we know is not true. Like we one, now know, now, now know, know yes. that we don't have yes. newborn babies. <laughs> yes. And so um, he said, I'll take one feeding. So you breastfeed her and then you go to bed and you sleep for six hours. I'll take the feeding in the middle of the night uh, or whatever the next feeding is. She'll go back to sleep and then I'll come and wake you up at the next feeding. So I went in our bedroom, I shut the door. I mean, this was drastic measures um, and shut the door, turned on white noise, put in earplugs because I was such a light sleeper and having a newborn and being worried about, you know, is she breathing? Is she alive? You know? Um, and I went in my room and I might've even taken like some, um, some NyQuil or something, which is in your body for about six hours. And so um, you're not supposed to technically breastfeed, um, but we assumed that by the time her next feeding that I would have, um, it would be out of my system. So that's what we did for a couple nights and, um, and maybe even up to as long as two weeks. And then she started dropping some of her night feedings and that first, uh, and one of the first ones that we had her drop was the bottle that he was giving her. And um, as like a little side note, I was super frustrated that I would have to sit there and breastfeed for like 30 to 45 minutes because she was such a slow eater. And Jim would just have like a 10 minute change your bottle, change, sorry, change your diaper and give you a bottle and put you back to bed. And I was like, what? How, is, how do you have it so easy? <laughs> but um, but that, was, that was how we kind of got me out of the dark hole that I was going down because I was so sleep deprived. Um, I think it was, there was a combination of factors that uh, I developed. I don't know. I was never 
actually diagnosed, but I had something on the postpartum spectrum, whether it was like anxiety or depression. Um, it wasn't terrible as far as like severity, but it was definitely, I was not in a good place. And um, like I said, it was multifactorial. It was not getting enough sleep. It was my baby who wasn't eating well. Um, it was, um, you know, my husband's schedule and being naive about not knowing what to expect. We kind of, I felt like we kind of started off on the wrong foot in that, um, I mean, you can't, I mean, other than having a scheduled, you know, induction, um, Skylar was born in like, I was up for probably 18 hours um, giving birth. And so I started off sleep deprived. And um, honestly, that's what um, my husband's theory is, is that um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't well rested. I went into labor like 10, 11 o'clock at night and I didn't have her until five or six uh, the following evening. And then, like I said, she had jaundice. And so like, and there was people going in and out of our room, checking on her more often maybe than just like a baby who didn't have any issues. Um, but also, uh, you know, I acknowledge that lots of babies have more issues, um, but uh, it was a combination of my uh, being naive. And also um, there's a, I, I do have a little bit of history of um, some anxiety. And so um, subsequently knowing that I had postpartum something, which is actually very common. I yes. think the statistics are um, like seven out of 10 women have some sort of postpartum, some like anxiety or depression, like I said. Um, and so with Landon, the, my doctor knowing my history actually had me start taking, um, and I started taking an antidepressant with Skylar. Um, or anti-anxiety medication. Um, and that helped also with my sleep because I am a light sleeper. And um, just kind of calm down some of these perseverating thoughts like, is my baby okay? Is she still breathing? You know, all of this stuff. And then with Landon, they actually had me start taking it before I gave birth oh, to wow. kind of already have it on board. Yeah. Um, but later in the third trimester, because they had, she told me they had some information that it's not harmful to the baby that late in pregnancy. And it potentially would be, uh, it would be more good because a lot of those um, SSRIs, they take a couple weeks to get into your system. Yeah. And so um, I started taking it a couple weeks before. I actually did have uh, a induction with him um, and it was fabulous. I felt <laughs> in the sense that I could plan it and I like got a good night's sleep the night before. I got up, I took a shower. I felt like I was getting ready for work. Except instead of going to work, I went to the hospital. So great. I know a lot of people don't like that, you know, like all the drugs and things that you know, make you go into labor, but I was quote unquote advanced maternal age and I had met my deadline and they said after a certain time, like we usually induce moms who are advanced maternal age and I was a little nervous, but if I could go back and do it again, I would do it the second way rather than just letting <laughs> nature take its course. So, so how old was Skylar when you started um, taking an anti-anxiety medication? Oh gosh, maybe a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And it was a low dose. Um, and, it, and I was, I was kind of concerned about breastfeeding and taking it, but they gave me one that, um, not, uh, or a teeny, teeny, tiny amount transfers, um, from the mother to the baby via breast milk. I think so. this is so important. We all have yeah. something. I mean, in hindsight, you yeah. look back and you're going, Oh, that was not me. Um, right. and, it, and it makes a really big difference. How, can I just ask, how do you think your anxiety or whatever was going on, how did it manifest related to baby? Like what, when you look back, what were the signs that things weren't going well? Cause I think this is really important for other women to hear and, yeah. and understand. I was, I was just exhausted. I, I wanted to, <laughs> I had these visions in my head of driving. I don't know why driving to Montana and finding a hotel and just sleeping mm. for like a weekend. That's all I wanted to do. You know, like they say some of the scarier, more severe cases, like, you know, people want to hurt their babies and that kind of thing. I was afraid of hurting her, like, because I would do something because I was so sleep deprived, you know, like dropping her or something like that. I didn't ever want to hurt her or hurt myself. I just wanted to sleep. <laughs> you were afraid that by being so sleep deprived, something would happen by accident, yeah. that there would be yeah. like a circumstance that, that manifested as a result. Yeah. 
So I like, I just wanted to go check myself into a hotel and go sleep and have peace and quiet for like, you know, a weekend and like, quote unquote, feel like I caught up. Um, So anyway, so after I started taking an antidepressant and after, you know, like she started feeding better and we got, even though it wasn't the best routine, we got somewhat of a routine down, things got a lot better. Um, So yeah. Good. I'm so glad. I'm so happy for you that you had support though. It's always, it's always better when we can get the support early, but it's really great to get support yes. at all. Yes. And there's, like I said, it's very, very common. So women should not feel like um, it's a bad thing or anything that they did. Um, we still don't know exactly what causes it um, because some women who have a uh, history of anxiety or depression, they might be at greater risk, but there are some moms who have no history of anxiety or depression and they suffer from postpartum depression. And they think it's related to this huge drop in hormones that we had going on to support pregnancy and all of a sudden they're just not there. Um, And so some women's bodies just don't adjust well and it is more than just the baby blues. Um, It's something that needs a a little bit more attention. There's nothing wrong with asking for help and um, they have a lot of of things that can help if you don't wanna take medication. Um, I talked to a therapist a couple times on the phone um, and so my OB was very supportive too. So there is is lots of help out there if you need it. No, that's really great. So, so, so after four months, you're back at work, you're doing any night wakings, you're handling it all, super mom, handling all (laughs) the things, keeping the fort down. Um, what, how did things start to transition? What, how many times a night were you up? That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, around four to six months is usually when we recommend introducing solids as well. And I honestly, I wonder if she wasn't just hungry and she was like, food, this is awesome. And I'm going to eat food. And like some little, some babies really glom on to solids and some babies are like, no, thank you. I just, I just want the boob, you know, like that's it. And so, um, but she really liked food. And I think adding that, um, helped her sleep more. Um, and we definitely, I definitely started to see more of like a nap sleep routine emerge, you know, like three naps a day. She was thankfully always a good sleeper. Like I said, that wasn't a good thing in the beginning because I had to wake her up. But then my, uh, my sister who had a baby just a few months after me was jealous because my daughter Skylar would take like three hour naps Mm -hmm. in the afternoon. And that was glorious because then I could get some work done and I could pretty much count on that. And then, um, but I can't, I mean, I want to say she's probably waking up two, two, two or three times a night. Mm -hmm. Um, and that quickly decreased as she got closer to a year. And then I remember after reading the book around six months, uh, we got to maybe like eight months. Oh, no, no. I, let me take that back. Okay. Around at the six month checkup, my pediatrician was like, okay, she doesn't need to be fed at night anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, my pediatrician was also, you know, um, she was like, do it when you feel ready, like when you feel like she's ready and when you feel like you're ready, you know, like it's not like a hard stop. You have to decide. Well, it took me a good two months to be like, okay, finally, uh, I need some sleep and I'm not going to wake up. I think, I mean, she was still probably only waking up once a night, but then I took the advice um, from that book about sleep training. And I really loved the verbiage that we are helping our children learn a new skill. That was something that really spoke to me as opposed to all of this negative connotation to sleep training that cry it out. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so like you're painful or neglecting your children. And so I was like, okay, we're helping her learn a new skill. And I am one of those people like, again, kind of maybe type A, but I have to set a clock. And so I set my watch the first night for like two or three minutes. And I would let her cry for two or three minutes. And if she didn't calm down, I would go in there. 
And then we progressively made it longer and longer, um, you know, like five minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes. And then it got to be to 15 minutes. And there were multiple nights where I didn't ever have to go in there because my timer would go off and I would wake back up and she would be quiet. She'd be sleeping. And you would have fallen asleep in the process. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was great. And I mean, of course, there's always hiccups along the way. And I fully believe that like uh, a change in season or like uh, the time change or full moons affect baby sleep because they do, do they do weird things. But um, anyways, but that was, uh, it was, so it was about eight or nine months um, when we fully got her like sleeping through the night. And then um, how long did your actual, it's, I mean that you did sort of a, a modified version of Ferber, right, right? Where you go in right. and check. How right. long would you say that process was from the day that you said, okay, timer starting tonight until you not, saw completion? Not long. I mean, I want to say two weeks or less, mm. which is actually like what a lot of that, that research or that data says yeah. is, you know, um, so, you know, she did everything and we did everything that, you know, they say you're supposed to, or whatever, as far as like, you know, not going in there and checking them. Another big thing I f- keep forgetting to mention is um, in the beginning, because it was really rough, um, I actually got, I threw the baby monitor out the window. The beginning, like when she was a newborn or? Yes, Mm. yes, because I had a video monitor and I would just sit there um, and watch my phone instead of sleep at night. Oh. And that was not good. And so everybody- Watch the baby (laughs) stream on the phone, is what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> reality so, baby yeah. tv <laughs> she's just sleeping um and she wasn't even doing anything but uh I, you know it was it was scary having like something like right after your baby's born and you're like oh my gosh i have to keep this little tiny thing alive and so i uh you know after i did that people would come over to like babysit or you know my parents would come visit or whatever and they'd be like oh you can just you know listen for the baby monitor i was like nope because we don't use one and you know so i would just always leave her door cracked and I could hear her, my, my room was just, you know, around the corner. Um, so I think that was probably a good thing also for sleep training, because if you have a baby thermometer, you do hear every little tiny, like, you know, they burp or they roll over or they like, you know, make a weird noise in their sleep. Um, so for me, that was something that worked, but I also know a lot of people who really like their baby monitors, so. It was just anyway. making you too crazed. Too oh, crazed. Yeah. So maybe you can walk us through what sort of your routine looked like. Um, so um, she didn't sleep in um, our room for very long. Um, again, because I'm a light sleeper and every little like weird baby belch or whatever, I would wake up and like they snort, they make all kinds of weird noises. It's the funniest thing. And so she slept in a pack and play in our room for, I don't know, maybe two weeks, Mm. way less time than the recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics. But my pediatrician was very supportive and she was like, look, if you're not sleeping and you're not feeling well as the mom, then you can't be the best for your baby either. And so even though they say, you know, co or sleeping in the same room, American Academy of Pediatrics recommends they, it was six months and then they bumped it up to a year and then they brought it back down to six months, thankfully. <laughs> um, she said all these other risk factors that would contribute to SIDS are low in our house. You know, like there's nobody that smokes. She was born full term, all these other things. So that kind of gave me some peace of mind to put her in her own room and I could get some rest and she could get some rest and everybody was better off. Um, we definitely swallow, swaddled. Um, we just used swaddling blankets. We didn't use any of the, um, like the special swaddlers that have the Velcro or anything. Although we did use that for my son. I probably swaddled her longer than they say you're supposed to. I think it's like two months is when you're, no, I've swaddled her until she like busted out of that thing. And yeah, I have pictures of her just wrapped around her arms and stuff. And it, to me, it was also like, um, like it was kind of like a blanket, a safe blanket for her. Um, we didn't use sleep sacks. Um, and so what did you transition her to after the swaddle? Nothing. It was really terrifying. <laughs> Just some jammies <laughs> and a crib. <laughs> and I get a lot of things like I've learned that, um, kids, I, I've, or as parents, we're anxious about, and we just have to give them the opportunity to do it. 
and they just do it. And it's like, it's a lot more organic and we don't have to force it as much as we think we do. Or like, like I said, we have a lot more anxieties around it. And, and when we give them the opportunity, like I just finally did away with the swaddle one night. I was like, oh God, I don't know. She's going to wake up like three times and she did it. And then you're like, okay, they can do it. You know, like I just had to give them a chance. Um, neither of my kids took uh, pacifiers. They spit them out. Um, we tried to like force it back in her mouth a bunch of times because it's like, here, chew on this because I just fed you and I can't feed you again. And like when she would go through like periods where she just wanted to like cluster feed. Totally. <laughs> and uh, so, but neither of my kids were really into pacifiers. So I'm glad we actually kind of glad about that, that we didn't have to go through the whole process of taking them away later. So did you ever uh, add any kind of bedtime routine in? Oh, yes, definitely. So when, um, so that is one thing that we always, I, when I, after I read the book, um, I have bedtime routine and nap routine are the same. And I, at first I was confused about that because I was like, I'm not going to give her a bath before every nap. That's crazy, you know, but I learned that when they're talking about like sleep routine, um, it's always, you know, a clean diaper. For us, it's always been a clean diaper. Um, maybe change your clothes if it's like a nap um, or put lotion on her to kind of mimic getting ready for bed. Um, and then um, I would feed them uh, before they went to bed at night, but not before naps, like breastfeed them. Um, and then, um, but, but bedtime was always bath and, you know, clean jammies, clean diaper. Um, and um, we use white noise. And, um, and I, and maybe a book once they started getting a little bit older. And that was something that, um, that, that's also something reading books has replaced like being fed, um, like for, for Landon now that he's almost two, um, he doesn't get anything to eat or drink, but he gets books. So there's always that same like sequence. Yeah. Yeah. How long would you say your nap routine takes versus your sleep routine? I always think that's so interesting. Oh gosh, way less time. Uh, cause, cause nap. Yeah. It's just change them and, um, you know, kind of like some just quiet time, like turning on the fan or turning on like the, you know, the white noise. Um, and then nap time, sometimes it takes a little bit, a couple more times of going in if they like kind of squawk, but usually I give my kids like 10 to 15 minutes in their sleep, uh, for nap. Um, and they'll make noise or like, now Landon's gotten in the habit of, and Skylar did this too, kicking the end of the bed. So you just hear like, whack, 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 whack. <laughs> what are they doing in there? But they don't need you. They're just doing their yeah. own thing. <laughs> yeah. And if you think, I mean, and I think in the, in the, in the book, she, um, she relates it to us. I mean, if you think about it, when we lay down in bed, we don't just automatically fall asleep every time. We need a little bit of time to like decompress and, you know, get relaxed and that kind of, and that's what they need too. And so if they're in their bed and, you know, like they kind of roll around or find a comfy spot, you know, it takes 10 to 15 minutes and then they're like, okay, I'm good. And I'm going to go to sleep. So, yeah. So nice. So let's stay on Skylar for a minute. So she's five now. Yes. Uh, obviously the infant time is a whole separate thing. And <laughs> she started sleeping through the night at about nine months. You were still breastfeeding. What happened? What has happened between nine months and, and five years? I mean, do you, were there any big setbacks, any tips or tricks that you would pass on to other parents? Um, so I would say, so she was never a climber. Like I know some people's babies or kids climb out of their cribs. So we never had that issue with her. And so she, we trans transitioned her to like a toddler bed or we just took off the, the side rail of her crib, you know, how they can convert. Um, when she was probably between two and three, and um, she's also like very much a rule follower. So she never came out of her room. Like people talk about oh, when nice. they transition to <laughs> a kid, like they're always just putting their kid back in bed, but she would stay in bed. Um, but before that, I would say even like when she got a little bit older for nap time, um, and I've, when I say older, I mean like two, we would give her a couple of books in her bed with her, like a couple of board books and her like stuffed animals. And sometimes we would hear her in there playing for a little while, but then she would always end up taking a nap. Um, and then 
we actually transitioned her from like a quote unquote big kid bed um, from the crib when she was a little over three. Um, and we actually ended up getting like people made fun of us, but we got our queen size bed because oh. we didn't we didn't want her to fall out, number one. And number two, like we figured it would be a bed she would be in for maybe, you know, a long time. And so we had a queen size bed and we just pushed it up in the corner and um and it was also like lower set to the ground. And uh, but she's always been a pretty good sleeper. Um, the only kind of setback I remember was when she was probably close to two and it was a bit of a struggle every few nights. It wasn't every single night that she would just try to finagle more and more books. Mm -hmm. And um, so we definitely dipped into the territory of stall tactics now. Before <laughs> bedtime. Um, and um, but the bedtime routine is still there. We still do bath almost every night. Um, in the winter, we don't do it as often just because they get a little dried out. But, um, but you know, like we get ready for bed, we read a couple books, and she goes to sleep. And so it's just uh, some little transitions um, and changes to the normal routine. And um, they do baths together sometimes. And then we split them up to put jammies on and read books. And then she goes to bed a little bit later than Landon. But what time is your bedtime these days? Bedtime and wake time. Her bedtime? Mm -hmm. Depends on how much she's successful at stalling. Ah. Um, <laughs> so her bedtime um, is between 8 and 8.30. Like that's like in bed um, going to sleep. But we usually start bedtime routine because of Landon at like 7. Uh, that was another thing that I learned a lot about sleep was it's about cumulative sleep in the day. And so some kids are not ever very good nappers, but then they sleep for 12 or 13 hours at night. And so even if your kid isn't a good napper, if they sleep well at night, they're going to be okay. You know, or if your kid only sleeps for eight hours at night and they really should be sleeping like 10 or 11, but they take three hour naps and, you know, of course it's age appropriate, but um, you know, it's about cumulative sleep mm -hmm. in the day. So you had all of this experience with Skylar, <laughs> right? Made it happen, realized you yes. didn't know some things. Yeah, oh, a lot. And then maybe you can describe to us what happened when baby number two was on the way. We had a master, or I had a master plan. And thankfully, my husband um, is, was very willing to go along with this master plan because it was such a struggle and he's or he saw how much I struggled when Skylar was born. And so, but even though I had this master plan, they, we still made some deviations. So originally, so we were living in a different house now and we have a fairly good sized master closet. So the plan was that he was close, but not necessarily right next to the bed and I could still sleep, that his, his bassinet was gonna be in the master closet. And that was where he was gonna sleep for the first six months. Well, he slept there for maybe a month, uh, actually in our room, in a bassinet, not, never in the closet. I decided it was terrible to put him in a room with no windows, <laughs> even though he's sleeping. So he slept in a bassinet next to the bed. Um, the other issue with the whole sleep thing and having somebody who gets up really early for work is like, I would, I would get so mad because I would just put one of the babies down to, and I would be falling back asleep and he would have to get up. And it was like 5.30 in the morning or something. And I, so what ended up happening is I moved into the baby's room. Okay. So yeah, so his, Landon's room is big enough that we have his crib, we have a changing table, um, a rocking chair or glider, and then we had a like, um, like pull out, like, um, you know, bed for visitors mm -hmm. or guests. And so I slept in there with him uh, for six months until he was six months old. <laughs> Great. And, yeah, I know. It was good for my, I don't know how good what thing was for our, my husband and I's relationship. But, but I mean, like a I said. good marriage foundation first starts with two well-rested people. <laughs> There that you go. Is a fact. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, when I was getting up two or three times a night, it was just so much more convenient to be in the same room as him, and the dogs couldn't come in. We just kept the door shut, 
and I would go to sleep when Landon went to sleep at night. And then um, also I wasn't disturbed by my early rising husband and he could do his thing in the morning. He didn't have to worry about being loud and waking me up. And so I slept in the same room with Landon for the first six months and he was on one side of the room and I was on the other side and there was white noise. So it didn't, you know, his sleep didn't really bother me as much as it did with Skylar. I also knew like kind of probably how to drown out some of those baby noises a little bit more. And it was also just super convenient because a lot of moms who talk about, you know, like having their baby in a co-sleeper right next to the bed, they can just roll over and feed them and then put them back. It was pretty much the same thing. Like I could just, you know, he woke up, I would change his diaper and feed him. Um, one thing that I learned is keep everything dark. Do not turn lights on if at all possible, because that disturbs their like, you know, sleep mode. And it drove me crazy because my Jim would turn, come in if he ever had to feed the baby in the middle of the night, like as Landon got a little bit older, he would just like flip on all the lights. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, we're trying to maintain this sleep environment. And he's like, I can't see where the diapers are. And I'm like, you know what I use? I use this little like um, light that's on my watch. That's what I use. Like, I don't, I keep it as dark in here as possible. I put duct tape over every single light, like the wipes container and the humidifier lights and everything. Cause I wanted to keep it as dark as possible in there. Um, you know, room darkened in her um, blackout shades, um, everything. All the tricks. Um, all of it. And it, you know, it worked, it worked fine. Um, it worked much better and I knew what to expect more. And I yeah. think, um, that and also a big difference. Yeah, and also um, for maintaining like, you know, all of those hormones and things that are uh, going while we're sleeping that are disrupted by, you know, bright lights. Same thing holds true for us. Like when I had Skylar, I was like researching things badly on my phone and reading when I shouldn't have been in the middle of the night. And that was probably negatively affecting my rest as well. So I learned to just, you know, like be sitting there breastfeeding for 45 minutes or whatever. And just kind of like, I, I also bought, I, I bought a very expensive glider because I realized you spend a lot of time in that sucker. And so it better be as comfortable as possible. So I definitely splurged there. Um, but the other baby furniture is like Ikea. So <laughs> my one piece of advice, if you want to splurge on one nursery item, get a really comfortable chair or glider. And um, I got a I got the um, not to like product place or anything, but the people want to know. Go ahead. Yeah, the, that Canadian brand of glider. Um, I love it. What's it called again? Can you say it again? D U T A L I E R, and I may be mispronouncing it, but I I liked that better than I looked at you know like Pottery Barn and all these other kind of high end brands. And um, I like that you can still be reclining and still rock. Um, whereas a lot of the other ones, you can only do one or the other. So it's not the coolest looking chair, but it's incredibly comfortable. And, um, so it was a anyway. gift to yourself. Good for yes. you. Good for you. So, okay. So you had the master plan that you immediately yes. had to, uh, adjust <laughs> as, <laughs> as is true with all things parenting. You were hanging out with Landon, but you had yes. a better setup and then, yes how did it go? How, you know, do you remember how many, how frequently you were waking in the night? And then yeah. how did things evolve to get him to sleeping through the night? So he wasn't as good of a sleeper as Skylar. I think he woke up more, maybe one more, you know, he wasn't terrible, but he woke up maybe one more time or woke up, um, at night longer. And also because I knew he probably because he was the last baby, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm ready to like, you know, like just do it. And then like after six months, my husband was like, okay, when are you coming back to bed? You know, like it's been six months. <laughs> you can't sleep in his room till he's a teenager. And I was like, okay, that's a bit over traumatic. But um, I, I think it was probably about the same, like, you know, seven, eight months. And it's amazing. Like he's not even two yet. I've already forgotten. Um, but similar, like eight, nine months um, that uh, he probably did the full like at night. Um, and he actually kind of did it on his own um, in that he would sleep like eight hour, nine hour stretch, which it's interesting. Also, the definition of sleeping through the night is varied. Um, and so he would wake up. At, I remember this distinctly, actually. 
um, there was a period of like a couple months where he would sleep from like seven to five thirty, And I'd be like, dude, you're so close. Just like another hour and a half, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I would just go in and I would feed him and he would go back to sleep until like seven or eight. And because I was at home, I was on maternity leave that whole semester and Skylar was just a daycare and we could drop her off, you know, kind of whenever I let him sleep, um, after I fed him. So it was fine. Yeah, yeah, that early morning feed can sometimes be really helpful <laughs> yeah. in getting a few extra hours in. Yeah. yeah. And he was a strong napper throughout this also. You did the same routine with him? Yeah. So same. Yeah. I learned that, that the routine just always needs, and I had to train Jim on that, you know, like, you got to change his diaper. You got to, and he, I don't know if he thought I was just being like militant, but I'm like, no, I read the book. This is what works, you know, like... <laughs> I've done it. I'm home with this kid every day. And um, so, and also, like I said, I think after he was kind of scared by me going through the trauma of have, like dealing with Skylar in the beginning, uh, he, he's like, okay, I, I'll take your word for it. Just tell me what to do. You know, like I was like, put socks on him. So his feet aren't cold and, you know, like make sure the humidifier's on and the white noise. And did you do it? You know, um, I forgot what question. I sorry, I digress. That's okay. So, so let's just go back to. So, he, did you end up doing sleep training with Landon, or how did yeah. you drop that final? Like a modified. Thing? Yeah, yeah. Like basically, you know, like gave him enough time to. And he, like I said, it's kind of like partly he did it on his own because we gave him the opportunity to. Like, I mean, he might have woken up at one thirty if I hadn't. You know, like he would wake up and go back to sleep. Um, and that was kind of the sleep training part, but then like the five thirty thing, it it again it kind of went away on its own. Like I, because you are you saying because you were just much more knowledgeable that you didn't need to immediately be there every yeah. time he yes. made a, yeah. a little noise. Yeah, and like I said, every time they, he's he, you know like one of the baby, one of them would squawk, I would set my you know my watch for ten or fifteen minutes, and then if they were still making noise after that, then I would you know, go feed them or go see what, you know, they needed. And, but, um, most of the time they would go back to sleep on their own. Um, so yeah. Nice. Um, but as far, oh, you were asking about naps during the day for him. So, um, similarly, he's not as big of a napper as Skylar. He still goes down, um, for naps and, and would nap just fine. But like I said, Skylar had these epic three hour long afternoon naps, which were just like glorious. And, um, he's, yeah, um, he's down to, he's been down to one nap for a while now, um, but his two naps a day that they kind of stay at for a little while, um, his morning nap was like maybe 45 minutes or an hour, and then his afternoon was like an hour and a half or maybe two hours. Um, so, uh, but again, it's about cumulative sleep, and I know he's getting, he was getting enough at night. So even though I wanted him to sleep longer so I could get stuff done, um, he, and then he always slept less at daycare than he did at home. Um, and I think that's partly because they have them all sleep in the same room. And, um, so so much fun stuff to do. Exactly. You know? And, um, so sleep was never as good when he was at daycare right now he's at home. Did you find anything that was helpful with either of your kids navigating daycare and sleep? Uh, anything you did differently on the weekends or did you often do an earlier bedtime? How did you, how did Um, you manage through that? No. Um, I just also, my kids were never in daycare five days a week. Um, and so I honestly feel like they compensated for the lack of sleep on the days that they were home. Um, and so like Skylar was in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and so maybe that was why she took three hour naps. Um, you know, the day she was home. (laughs) Yeah. And Landon, I think he was only three days as well. So again, that's the, the blessing of my job is I can work from home, um, a couple days a week. Yeah. And um, that allowed me to be home with them. Um, so, yeah, there was daycare that really, they, I couldn't change the environment there really. Yeah. So, yeah. so Landon's coming up on two. Is he still in a crib? <laughs> yes. Do you think he's going to be a climber? I don't know. Um, I'm hoping <laughs> not uh, because I am definitely an advocate of leaving them in there as long as possible. Um, you know, not till they're a teenager, but um, as long as they'll kind of tolerate it. Uh, I don't know if he'll be a climber. He climbs on everything else. He is into everything else, kind of your stereotypical boy stuff, if you will. Um, 
but he has not yet like attempted to I don't think um so yeah fingers crossed right so as you think back on your journey are there any other um tips or strategies or particular I don't know gear or anything else that you would say oh if I could tell a new parent this Mm -hmm. I would certainly recommend that they look into it yeah um eat play sleep um having a root a bedtime routine like I said Obviously, nap time is a little abbreviated, but basically the same thing. Um, it's okay every once in a while if they aren't, you know, at home in their own bed for a nap. If you need to go run errands or if they're at daycare, they're going to be okay. Uh, as I mentioned previously, as they get a little bit older and they start uh, being able to sleep through the night, uh, then encouraging that even more with super absorbent diapers, uh, whatever your favorite brand might be, um, but the night diapers. And you can also size up one for the night diapers to increase the absorbency a little bit more. Obviously, you don't want to go too big or else then it's not going to catch anything. But <laughs> um, And then um, wipes. Um, I was actually kind of skeptical about a wipe warmer. But in the middle of the night, you have to think about it. Would I like to be kind of like be awoken by a cold, wet thing on my bum? And uh, so it again, it kind of keeps them everything calm and you know, like dark in the in the room. And we used a white noise machine that's actually portable one. Um, and uh, the brand is the very common uh, white noise machine that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But I liked that it was portable because then I could like hang it from a doorknob or, yeah. um, and then we could take it when we travel and there was that continuity of the same white noise when we traveled. Um, with Skylar, we used like a white noise app on our phones or on the iPad and that worked fine too. Um, also look up how to appropriately use white noise. So that's effective because a lot of parents put the white noise machine right next to their baby's bed, but actually it has to be placed in the line of where the noise is coming from to cause the interference to make it quieter. So uh, you can Google it and, um, and you can see. Got it. So if in your house, your dogs are barking, you need that white noise machine between the door and the bed as opposed to just next to the bed. Yes, exactly. Um, so, and then blackout curtains. And we actually got some really good blackout curtains from Ikea, surprisingly. Um, so you don't have to spend a lot um, necessarily. And um, I was uh, hoping that they would, would be good for with the price that they were. And they actually are, are quite good and they block out all the light. So for nighttime, we can keep it nice and dark. Yep. Great suggestion. Great suggestion. Thank you so much. Um, so I really appreciate you being here and telling your story. Thank you for having me. Beautiful babies. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I know everyone who's listening is also hearing parts of themselves and you, I mean, it's a lot when you have busy working parents and one spouse in particular who has a very, very intense job and is less in it than you are. (laughs) (laughs) That's similar to my life too. And, um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. <laughs> that being said, a part of my master plan when we had number two was, um, okay, Jim, you are, you are on kid number one. You are in charge of bedtime for her. And I'm in charge of bedtime for baby number, for number two. And that worked really well for us. It did? And, and yes, very much so. And so once I went in to, you know, feed the baby and go to bed, I went to bed and I don't know what happened. And he, and like, we explained it to Skylar that dad's going to put you to bed for a while because mommy has to take care of the baby. And that's what we did. And that worked out great. Oh, that's a great, great tip. And he was ready. He was ready and willing to take that on. Yes. Cause I, he knew it was for, you know, a limited amount of time. (laughs) That's right. how we can flop back and forth. You know, which one do you want tonight? I'll take the other. So that's so funny. So yeah. Julia, if anyone who's listening today wants to get in touch with you, um, what would be the best way that they could they could reach out? 
So the best way to probably reach out would be um, my email, which um, if you go to your uh, Elizabeth's website, the sleep website, um, I'll have her uh, posted. It can be available that you could reach out to me there. Okay, perfect. So on our website, babysleeppodcast.com, you'll be able to find Julia's episode and we'll be sure to put her contact information in the show notes as well as link to the chair and the book and some of the other great resources you talked about today. And for all okay. of you amazing people out there listening, we hope that you are getting better sleep as a result of every conversation we have here on the Baby Sleep Podcast. But please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Help us grow our listener base. Tell your parent friends. We'd love for them to take a listen too. And you can find us on Instagram at Baby Sleep Podcast. So thank you so much. I hope everybody gets a good night rest. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to the Baby Sleep Podcast wherever you get your content. Check us out on Instagram at the Baby Sleep Podcast and visit our website, www.babysleeppodcast.com, where you'll find individual episode notes, including links to products or resources mentioned in the conversation. And of course, send your parent friends our way because we could all use a little more sleep.